Welcome to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to people who want to speak more as a way to build their income and grow their business. Well, welcome everyone to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. My name is Jane Atkinson. I'm the founder here at Speaker Launcher and the Wealthy Speaker University. I'd like to put in a little plug for our Wealthy Speaker Daily Success Planner and Journal just did a podcast about daily success habits and I really hope you'll check it out. It's 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 just something that is really helpful in terms of driving momentum in your speaking business. And the planner just became available on Amazon, so go grab your copy from there or here at speakerlauncher.com on our bookstore. Let's also give a shout out to the folks who've been helping us out by leaving ratings on Stitcher and iTunes. We just actually launched on Google Play, so check us out there. We really appreciate the reviews, everybody, and that way people who maybe don't know about us on those services might tune in. So thank you so much for that. Now, back in December, I attended our CAPS convention. That's the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers. We had a main stage keynote who I had seen speak before, but I knew that I wanted more. And that was the founder of Unmarketing, Scott Stratton. Scott, thanks for being on the show with us today. I'm so thrilled you are here. Ah, the pleasure is absolutely all mine. (laughs) Now, let me give everybody your kind of quote-unquote formal intro. Uh, Scott Stratton is the president of Unmarketing. He's one of the leading speakers, authors in the world when it comes to helping people embrace the age of disruption. He has written four best-selling business books and was formerly a music industry marketer, national sales training manager, and a professor, this one's a little weird, at the Sheraton College of Business. Business. <laughs> I'm just seeing you with your tie on, right? <laughs> he ran one of the most successful viral video agencies in the world for nearly a decade. That's an important point. Uh, before solely focusing on speaking at events for companies like PepsiCo, Adobe, IBM, and Microsoft, you know, when they need help navigating their way through the landscape of business disruption. Now, my favorite line that I saw in Scott's bio was, Scott was put on his earth to remind the world that not all Canadians are passively polite. Yeah, I love it. And as a fellow Canadian, I say, thank you, Scott. (laughs) (laughs) Just doing my duty. Yeah. Well, you and I, I didn't know this and I haven't told you this, um, but when you were telling the story of how you kind of fell into this industry through a Les Brown PBS special, we actually have that in common because that's exactly how I fell into the industry was watching a Les Brown PBS special. Tell us about that. That is too funny. Isn't it well, weird? it's and typically Canadian, right? We all know each other. We all watch the one TV program. <laughs> That's we had right. On. Of course, you know Scott. Of course, you know exactly. Scott. You're from of course Canada. Of course, you know Scott. And you want to you want to tell people you're like, look, all Canadians don't know every. Okay, so I know Scott. That's fine. That's not fair though, because it's it's that's just random. But so it was. I was uh, twelve, and I was at home just west of Toronto and sitting in the living room. And one of the things back then was this is I guess in eighty seven was you didn't get up to change a channel because you had to get up to change a channel. So we kind of just left it on whatever was on. It was uh, the WNED Buffalo PBS feed. And it was a pledge drive. And if you donated $37 or whatever it was per month, they would send you a copy of the Les Brown motivational talk on VHS. And then they, and then they played it on the show itself. And 
I was uh, part of it, two things. One, I was mesmerized by him. He's, mm-hmm. you know, he's one of the best there has ever been on yes. stage. And two, I just sat there and go, wait a second, that's a thing? Like, you can do that? Like, you can just kind of yell at people and go <laughs> home? I, I think I can do that. And I realized early on, I had that natural ability to speak in front of people. And I, I, uh, and I didn't get nervous. And it was just, I could just do it. And it was, that's not a skill set, I don't, by the way. It's a random missing synapse in my brain. I just can do it. <laughs> and then I thought, wow, this is, this so is I, I a rare thing, right? A 12-year-old wants to be a, a, a keynote speaker. Wow. And uh, I knew that was eventually going to be the plan. That was the goal. That was the dream. And uh, fortunately for me, is uh, I'm living that now. I, I, I solely do keynotes for a living. Don't you just pinch yourself sometimes and think, really? Really? Like, I get paid oh, yeah. this much money for a speech, you know, for 45 minutes of my time? It's kind of insane when you think about it. Jane, it's, it's, I, I swear to you every day, Yeah. every day I think that every day I think who are these lunatics that are paying me this, yeah. you know, to do this. And, and, you know, and part of it is embarrassing. Like it's embarrassing that I'll make more like last week I made more than, uh, you know, than I ever made in a year corporately, mm. you know, and, uh, uh, you know, that was 40 hours a week, not two hours. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and, and also and the other side of it is, you know, I'm also an, an entrepreneur since I was that 12 years old and I'm a, I understand supply and demand and lack of scale. And so I also get it. And, um, you know, why wouldn't you charge what the market will bear and what they're willing to pay? And because there is a scarcity aspect to it. And when, if I book one gig somewhere, I can't speak somewhere else. So mm-hmm. part of it, and, and to re and here's the best part for me is to realize that you're living your dream while you're living it. Yes. That is, that is, I think, is also a very important thing because we're so I don't, I don't want to get too motivational on you because that's kind of anti me. But, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, everybody is so focused on, you know, what's next and we yes. don't focus on now. And, and when I hit it was a few years ago, sitting in Frankfurt on a patio eating schnitzel. All this is true. Sitting there with with uh, my incredible wife, Alice, and, and, uh, uh, and another keynote speaker that was at the event that we were doing. Uh, we got paid like that should be the end of the story. I got paid to go to Frankfurt, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and speak on the other uh, in, in, in Germany. And he's a startup guy. He's an entrepreneur. And, and he, he you know, we had just hit a million dollars in keynote fees that year. And that's kind of one of those kind of vanity golden rungs in the industry. It doesn't For mean sure. you're, you're better than somebody else or good or not, but it's a cool number to be at. Mm-hmm. And he's and he kind of goes, what's next? And he puts his hand up like it's a, you know, an upwards trajectory. Like, where's the next step? And right. I just took his arm and I flattened it. <laughs> And I said, I just want to stay at this. I have no urge for the next hill to climb. I want to, I want to be, I want to just put it in cruise control and do this for the rest of my life. Wow. And, and, uh, and, and that takes some people aback sometimes because it's always about this constant need for more or as we call it in business growth. And, uh, we, you know, I, to be honest, I don't. I don't like to do a lot of work. There's a, there's a level of complexity, though. Was it you that yeah. put up a graphic that talked about, you know, from one to two, there's this level of complexity? Actually, I think it might have been somebody else. Yeah, it and was. Then, I know what you mean, though. Yeah, once, you get huge... over, once you get over two, it becomes a whole different set of problems, and then up from there is a whole different set again. I fly around mostly North America, and I speak for 45 minutes to an hour, and then I go home. <laughs> Why would I ever want to to go to that another level? Why would right. I want like everything else sounds like work? 
And, um, and Allison, Allison kind of gets cheesed at me when I tell her, I tell everybody I don't work. And, and she's like, you, you work all the time yeah. and, because I'm, I'm reading and researching. I'm, I'm always in my industry and getting, I just want nobody to know more than I can at this, this side of the thing. I never want to stop learning because once in my career I did, and that's a great way to stop everything. Mm. And for me, it was looking at it and saying, I just don't want anything to feel like work. I don't want to. Nothing, I don't do anything out of obligation. Well, the odd the odd client call before a gig, sure, that's obligation. And sound checks is a whole other thing. But right. I don't do anything out of work. And why would I ever? What What are we all working towards? Right? You know, doing what we love and and then getting paid for it. I'm I I'm there, and I I need to be conscious enough to say I am here, and this is awesome. I am here, and this is awesome. And one of the things that um, I go to strategic coach in Toronto, so Dan Sullivan, he talks about the definition of retirement is only doing the things that you love every day. And so really, that's what you're doing. I've been retired for seven years. <laughs> it's you a know, beautiful I mean, thing. Seven years of solely keynoting. I've been retired. Like I've been running my own shop here for almost 17 years and uh, the last seven years of no consulting no client work, only keynotes. Yeah. And I, yeah, I am retired. And, and you know, so many people will probably argue with you about, oh man, you're leaving so much money on the table, blah, blah, blah. And I think that that is driven by something else. And if it's what makes you happy, I am all about de designing the business that's perfect for you. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think one of the, one of the issues that jumps in there, I think some of it is also, I, I, cause I get it because I get it because I can't sell my business. I can't pass this on to our children. Mm -hmm. And what happens if something happens physically to me? I can't be on stage. My, I'm only as good as, as my throat can go. Mm -hmm. I get, so I understand all those things, but come on, we pull in a million a year. Like what? I, it's not like I'm making 23,000 a year and it's like, I'm good. Like that's dangerous. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's, we gotta, ha we gotta step back for a second and say, look, how much is enough? Where you have that thing of that right that going from one to two to two to five to two, it's just exponentially more. And it's a stress. Like I am so conscious of time now that we were talking before we were recording, you know, my, my oldest is uh, at college uh, near you and we have four more children. Wow. And uh, so Allison is the youngest three are hers. The oldest two are mine. And so our oldest Aiden has already left the house. Mm. Uh, Owen has a year and a half left in high school. I don't want to have a lot of free time at 60. You know, I want the time now. Right. I want I want us to be like I'm. Do, I'm in, I'm in the mode. I'm in panic time mode, which is do all the things. You know, with the kids. You know, mm -hmm. we just got back from Atlantis and Bahamas. We're going on a Disney cruise. Last August, I took a gig in San Francisco solely, so we can bring the whole family for a week to San Francisco. Nice. Like, like so for me, is that I want the stuff. You know, I don't want to be singing "Cats in the Cradle." Yeah. At sixty, I don't want to be doing that. I, I want to look and say I spent the best time I could now because I have this great privilege to be able to do it. Well, we're very, very fortunate that we're in this industry and we know that there's a lot of people out there who are just trying to make ends meet working at a job that they don't love, maybe in the food court, which is a segue <laughs> to something I want to talk to you about in your early days. Talk about when you made the decision to get into the business and then what happened. So I, like I said, I always knew I wanted to 
to, to stand up in front of the room and speak. And I realized that was going to be in training. Like if a corporately, I was going to have to be a trainer. That's, that's where the speaking happens is the trainer position. And I went to school for HR, if you can believe that. And I, <laughs> no. uh, I, I wanted to be in training, but, uh, one of my profs there had gave me a great piece of advice, which was, you know, do it, be a generalist first, because if you go out of college and be a trainer, the only thing you're qualified to do is training. And one of the first thing that gets cut in an economic downturn is the training budget. And so I went as an HR generalist at Goodwill Toronto, uh, downtown Toronto. And I, so I did some training and then I took a job as a national sales training manager for a packaging company after that. And that's when I was all doing all training and two years, total of four years out of college, I realized I am not a good employee. (laughs) This is just not my entrepreneur's Latin for bad employee. And I said, okay, well, here I go. I'm going to go out on my own. And I, 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 uh, um, I booked uh, the local library, the room, the, you know, when you can book it for $85. It was a big budget spend, but, you know, and I brought in a, a, a professional camera crew team. Now, back then, this camera crew team, 16, 17, it wasn't three guys with iPhones. It was giant cameras with tape and everything else. And they, I, I wore this burnt orange shirt, yeah. the dress shirt, because I thought it was, you know, it looks different. And, uh, and I didn't realize the day before they had painted the room this kind of off pink and so my, the clashing of my shirt on the wall. <laughs> We're going to have to put that picture on the yeah, show I, notes I, I, page. I will send it to the archives for me. And to the point that I couldn't use the video. That's how bad it was. Wow. And, uh, and I made this thing and I had like six people show up. Wow. And like four other people were there for Pilates. That was later on in the day. And so it was just like, and, and then I had, then I booked a gig, the HRDC, you know, human resources development Canada mm-hmm. said, Hey, can you come speak at this? We're having employment week. Can you come to Maple View mall and speak? To the public, I'm like, here I go. Right. Here I go. You've here done, you're Les, getting to the show. <laughs> Les Brown, I'm coming. I'm, and I picture Les Brown. He's got 6,000 people in the audience and they're cheering. And I get up there and they set up a riser in front of the food court. <laughs> That's it, by the way. A riser in front of the food court. So I it's love like, it. it's like me, my mom in the, uh, sitting down and somebody from New York Fries, who I think is mocking me. <laughs> and then all these students that were on lunch break, because it was at lunchtime, on oh the second, gosh. the balcony overlooking me, heckling me. It sounds like a nightmare. And, and, but that's it. You know, you just, uh, people talk about paying your dues. Yeah. And like, I, we talk about now and where I'm at now. And um, yeah, it wasn't, it's like anything, it's any other business success story. It, just, it wasn't always this way. Yeah. And I, it was always just, let's just, just de- deliver it. Like I, here's, so my brother lives in, outside of Dallas in Texas and mm-hmm. him and I both came out of the music business and he's still in it and he does sound for bands. He owns a party band company down there and he was doing sound uh, in Dallas a couple, two, three, three, three years ago for, uh, for winger. So mm-hmm. the eighties awesome hair band winger was there like Epic, like Kip winger is like the, 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 the definition of eighties dude, you know, giant <laughs> hair, chest hair coming out of his shirt. And, <laughs> Song 17 was killer. Uh, and so he comes to this, they call the Glass Cactus Club, and he plays. And Chris, my brother, says there were 12 people in the audience. Wow. And he said, and Kip rocked it like it was 12,000 people. Wow. And ever since then, the phrase, the phrase in my head is rocket like winger. Mm. Every gig. So if, it, if, if you're doing a talk and half the audience leaves to go catch the flight because it's the end of a four day conference yeah. or rocket screws like up, winger. Rocket like winger and that's always been in my head because you know it doesn't it doesn't matter because no they will leave the conference and the if it is 12 people yeah 
what are those 12 going to remember? And that's the point where they, I don't care if you're speaking in a food court or you're speaking to, like I just spoke last week to a thousand people. It doesn't matter. You're there to knock it out of the park. I really like that. I really like that. And I, it's funny that you mentioned your brother being in Dallas because I lived six years in Dallas and I feel as though I brought some of that think big attitude back with me. There, don't you think that there's just a really different mentality there versus here in Canada? 100%. I think the marketplace is different. I think the attitude is different. Mm-hmm. I think I, so I love I love being Canadian. I have mm-hmm. a Canadian flag tattooed on my my tricep. I have like I I bleed red and white. Like this is <laughs> this is my this is our country. I'm so proud to be Canadian. But the business aspect is different. Mm-hmm. Like I'm priced out of the market in Canada pretty yeah, much now. Almost you know, yes. once once you get over over a certain set, and I'm at twenty thousand, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm already competing with the astronauts. I'm competing with Hadfield. I'm competing with a Dragons Den. Yeah, you that's know, the different. You have to be almost a celebrity, but you know, knowing that I have clients in the states who will be paid to come up here for twenty five or thirty. So I know there's the random budget that is right. there. Um, right. So we don't want to discourage all Canadians from trying to work here at home. But, oh, and I but I just think because the market yeah. here's the thing: the market is smaller. You know, yes. it's a tenth of the size of the population. Yes, and I think it's a twentieth the size of paying. Gigs as well. You can make a great, great career and never leave Canada. Yeah. Uh, you can. Maybe there's you just do the a, big banks. Well, that, that's what I mean. You do the big <laughs> they banks, have money. And companies, and telecom, and you're good to go. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's certainly a market, and also it's it's fairly topic dependent too. It's you know which which silo you fit in, and uh, and for me when it's a sales and marketing kind of rant that I do about things, um, you know, one of my friends is doing sixty seventy a year at. 12.5 a pop. That's mm-hmm. a good year. That's a great year. Yeah. And that's all Canada. So there certainly is a space for, I'm actually being booked in Canada this year more than last year. So it's, it's, there's good. still, I still have like, it was 70, 30 last year, us Canada for me, the year before was 80, 20 us, but the previous three years before that was 50, 50. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, it's like, I have the ability that I'm Canadian, which gives me a good leg up in Canada because Canadian events like having Canadian speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but the American, Audiences don't discriminate that I know of against Canadians. So and they then they don't uh, they don't blink nearly as much at a twenty k fee. Right. So I still did almost, uh, just under twenty here last year. Like so, uh, it's still that, that's you know pretty that's much really full fee. Yeah. So I'm I, I certainly am not saying it's a it's a barren wasteland here, but there is a difference, yeah. and it's just like and even the marketplace, just geographically. Like I remember talking to this is oh twenty three twenty four years ago, I opened up a Canadian independent music newsletter online. It was called Indie Can, and I, when I was in the music business, and one of the only people I ever interviewed for it was Rick Emmett, mm-hmm. uh, the guitarist for Triumph, and you know, Pierre talk about Canadian, and I, I said you know what's the difference between the Canadian market and U.S. and he's like. The Canada Canadian market, he has four or five cities across the entire Country. width of the continent. Yeah. Right? And in the States, I can go to one metro center and within 100 miles have five more metropolitans I can go to. Yeah. And so it's like, like for me in Canada, I'm speaking in, uh, you know, Banff and Whistler. Yeah. You know, and and I got two gigs north of Montreal now this year. And I rarely speak in Toronto. And so it's certainly um, – uh, uh, I, I would, I would speak in Canada the whole year, you know, if the market was that, if I got, I want, I, my goal is 60 gigs a year, 60 keynotes a year. And that's my goal. That's my comfort zone. And if I got 60 in Canada, 
I'd be more than happy to do that. Great. Well, in February, it is nice to get that floor <laughs> engagement. That's why I just, just came back from I, there. Yeah. <laughs> I just booked an event for myself and I thought, well, if nobody shows up for the event, it'll just be a really expensive vacation. <laughs> okay. Why? No, but that's why Florida, like Orlando, Phoenix, Vegas are my three top cities I speak in. It's because perfect. It, it, yeah. Yeah. And I just got invited to Vegas too. And I'm thinking, yes, and hubby will come along to that one gladly because we want to spend some time there. So let's talk about the first flashpoint. You have your food court. <laughs> You've paid your dues. You've yeah. spoken in the food court and in the library. Talk about when you kind of first started to really see traction. Well, this is, um, it, it takes it with some context because this iteration of me speaking the unmarketing brand unbranding on all those things in the past you know the past 370 keynotes i've done in seven years this is like my second life as a speaker because i was originally a speaker in the hr world in the work-life balance side of things my site back then the the the, the train wreck library talk in the food court was under the banner of work your life oh. it's, all, it's all about enjoying your work as well as your you know outside your life and so that was 17 years ago and so i got up pretty good um uh, i had a video go viral and a, this flash slideshow and it turned out that the video did so well other speakers wanted it so anything you saw back in the day online of, of a it was like cheesy text and cheesy music with photos that animated in the background all flash based the time movie and the dash movie and you know, you know what you did before the, between the year you're born, the year you died, like all, <laughs> all those movies you saw online that most of those were ours, but That's we cool. made those for people, for speakers mostly. So that became very profitable and I didn't have to do anything. And, uh, there were some family health issues at the time. So for me, traveling wasn't really in the cards at the time. So we made 60 of those over seven years. They were high margin, low work things. And that's when I got lazy and I stopped marketing. I stopped speaking. Um, so this, the world now that I'm known in was 2009, 2010. I just got known really well on Twitter because the recession hit and nobody was in the market for overpriced slideshows for motivational purposes <laughs> anymore. And so I, my, I had zero revenue. I had zero revenue. And I joined Twitter because I had nothing else to do. Wow. And I've always believed in community. Unmarketing was, was named because of the ability to connect with people versus market to them. And uh, so I, I, I created a lot of noise online. And so the publisher came to me, Wiley, and said, why haven't you, Shannon, who's still our editor to this mm -hmm. day, Shannon called and said, why haven't you written a book yet? And I said, well, why haven't you offered me a book yet? And she said, touche. And I got the book deal for marketing. And it was going to come out in September 2010. And two things happened that made my life change. One was I met a woman on Twitter named Allison, <laughs> who is now uh, un-Allison on Twitter and also lucky for me, my wife and my business partner and the co-author of all the books. And the other thing that happened was in June. So the book was coming out in September, 2010. And in the June, I sent out a tweet and said, who wants me to come to their city on the unbook tour? Right. I called, I called it an unbook tour because I didn't want to do a book tour. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to sit at a, at a chapters or a Barnes and Noble and just look at people walking by and have I, people ask me where the bathroom is. I don't blame you. Yeah, you know, it's just it's just a waste forever. That's why publishers won't even fund them for the most part. So I said, okay, I would. You have to pre-order a hundred books. You have to fly me there, and you have to put me up. Now, one of the secrets here is the reason they had to fly me there and put me up themselves is because I had no money. Wow, I was broke, and uh, but I believed in what I was doing, what I was saying, and so I put the tweet out there, 
And this is back in the day before celebrities were on Twitter. Right. I was I was bigger than Bieber. Like I was, <laughs> you, I was were, the, you were Twitter before – you were building community long before building community was cool. Correct. Yes, before the term social media even existed mm-hmm. at the time. So uh, I put it out there and 30 cities signed up. Wow. And I – so I did a 30-city speaking tour. So all the gigs were were talks that just happened to have the books there as well. Mm-hmm. And so I did, I, I picked a hundred books cause I knew that was the kind of the, the point where local associations were comfortable with, mm-hmm. they could get a hundred members come to their monthly meeting. I did a lot of American marketing association, right. uh, chapters, uh, social media club chapters, which were big at the time, but half of those gigs, here's the best part. Half of those gigs were run by people who had never run an event in their lives. They just wanted to say, how do we support you? I sent 25,000 tweets before I ever sent that tweet. Wow. So I built, people are like, well, you sent a tweet and you did a book tour. I'm like, yeah, maybe. Or <laughs> I busted my ass yeah. and, and, and built the community and community wants to support each other. And so I put it out there. I did a, a car dealership, it was a venue in Edmonton. I was at somebody's house in Nashville. Wow. I was on Chuck Berry's stage in the duck room in St. Louis. <laughs> and uh, honestly, um, it was 30 cities over 10 weeks. It nearly killed me. It was like, it was just nuts. And uh, I, I no word of a lie. I haven't stopped speaking since that. That was, that, that was a big, big flashpoint. That created the momentum that created the buzz. You know, to, if to get talks, you need to talk, right? Gigs, get gigs, mm-hmm. friends, get friends, gigs, that to me is the number one thing over everything else is that you, you the number one reason people hire speakers is because they see how they saw them speak and they want to take the feeling they felt and transfer that to their event, their company, their association. And I used to book speakers 20 years ago when I was in college for the HRPAO, the biggest HR association wow. in the country. Yeah. 4,000 people in attendance. I was on a committee with VPs and me from college. Uh, and I got to see behind the curtain of why people pick speakers. And it was the number one is I saw them speak. Number two was somebody I trust saw them speak. Number three was we have a video. And number five, six or seven was like they pitched us. So I knew the leverage point was, you know, getting near the top of that so that you couldn't help but create a buzz. And it was just, but it's also like anything else in business. There's luck, timing and skill, right? I was right at the point where everybody wanted somebody to speak about social media. Right. I had the ability to speak because before then I had spoken a bunch in my job, in school, for the work your life stuff. So I was ready as well. I had my craft down. But I also had a point that nobody could beat me in their thirst for this industry and the knowledge to transfer that skill set to the audience. And that's what I had. If you opened up Q&A, I could answer any question and have a, a, a half intelligent opinion on it. Mm-hmm. And we forget that speaking sometimes that the knowledge is almost as important as the craft that you need to have the expert in the sub the expertise yeah. in the subject. We talk a lot about being an expert first and a speaker second. 100%. Because, and especially in your positioning and your marketing, you know, your website doesn't say, come hire me, I'm a speaker. It says, here's the knowledge I bring to the table. And then one mm-hmm. of your options over here is that you can book me for a keynote. And I think that's that's been an adjustment and it's still an adjustment in the industry. We're not quite there yet. You were a social media pioneer and that's how... You started speaking. So that was your first, uh, were the majority of your talks around that for, at first? A hundred percent. So it was, it was like the two, speaking tour was a proof of concept of the book. Right. 
like the whole like it would I was talking to a friend of mine before I did it and he's like well it's going to show if it works or not because my whole book was about community mm. and the community then supported it you know and that's where you realize like I just saw some pictures in my time hop yesterday of the of the tour you're just like oh <laughs> you know, I was such a baby you know I didn't know what was coming and but it was true and people and the and, you know you show up at these events and people walk up like they know you because they do virtually Yes. And that was the point is just, it just, I knew that speaking is all I wanted to do, but I, I couldn't come in as saying we're hiring a speaker. You know, these people bring in experts and, but you also have to keep, you know, keep your pulse of the industry too, because if you look at my talks now, nothing mentions social media. Right. 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 Because that's no longer the keynote topic people are going after. And that's no longer my passion. My passion is, passion is, is. Disruption. Exactly. Disruption, consumers. And I've always been a consumer advocate. I just focus on sometimes the channels they go through. Right. But nobody's hi- no, most people aren't hiring a, you know, the Twitter keynote now, which also brings it to be careful of picking your topic, especially if you're trying to do keynotes. Picking your topic based on a platform is dangerous. Right. You know, I, I don't, you know, just ask anybody who was a Google Plus keynote. Right. Like it's not going as well as it, as it could. But if, you were, if your keynote is about communicating well, leading through the digital world or whatever that is, then you can, you can adapt it. To whatever I, the latest, hottest thing is, plug it in. I was very getting in very, very dangerous waters where I was the Twitter guy and I had to shift that. Yeah. That and I, I could see. Remove it from it. And that was important. So uh, you've really gone down the road of this unmarketing. Let's talk, let's put in a plug for the book here for a second. Um, tell us, you, you've written four books, but five, it, five, five books. Sorry, sorry. What's your latest book called? Uh, Unbranding, 100 Branding Lessons in the Age of Disruption. Oh, love that. And if we're talking about for speakers, what book do you think might be the most helpful for uh, speakers listening today? I'd say the newest version of Unmarketing, which would be uh, we changed the subtitle. Speaking of changing and shifting with the marketplace, yes. we, it used to be called Unmarketing, Stop Marketing, Start Engaging. Uh, and then you, now you'll see it. It's actually There's actually a pen mark across that subtitle, and now uh, it's handwritten in. It says everything has changed and nothing is different. Oh, I like it. And that's so, we, you know, it goes with the brand. It works well. We, that's what we pitch to the publisher. And it turns out if you sell a bunch of books your first time, you can do whatever the heck you want. Exactly. You know, with, with, no with doubt Wiley <laughs> is just so happy that they caught on to you. And Wiley, by the way, just for anybody listening in, is one of the few publishers who really gets how to uh, embrace speakers. And, and if speakers are busy and have lots and lots of audiences, I mean, that really is the best way to sell books. And we love to, I'm, no doubt the books go there before you, do they? And and every, every member of the audience will have a copy of the book sometimes. Yeah, that's, that's an important part too, right? We, uh, we've, and Allison really writes the books and I, I get on stage and I yell. And <laughs> the, the points of the books are are to get the gigs. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what gets it. And I knew from book one, that's what would get me on the stage. Like the book leads, if, you know, is, is ahead of your credibility. So they yes. get the book, you're like, okay, now it's credible. I'm, I'm still the same idiot. I was in 2009. <laughs> we just have five books under our belts now. So it gives me that if you're not known, if you're not a celebrity on whatever level that is, then they lend credibility and that helps. And when you have five, yeah. Um, I, and, and the majority of people who publish with a traditional publisher publish one. And yeah. to be able to have five of them, it, it certainly lends us a great clout. 
Definitely, definitely. And I do know that Wiley is great in terms of understanding the speaking world and what a platform that gives to sell books. There's no easier way than to put one book in the hand of all thousand people who are in your audience. That's how we sell tons and tons and tons of books rather than one at a time or doing early morning radio shows, wouldn't you say? Oh, 100%. I think just... It's so much more that these gigs will just exponentially do more mm-hmm. by by just putting it out there than doing the radio shows in the first thing in the morning. And, you know, all the, the, that doesn't move books like like people think. I remember uh, the chicken soup guys saying, you know, what they did to get the first one off the ground. And they basically did anything that it took, including yeah. getting up at four o'clock in the morning to be on a radio show. And I just think that, you know, it's really hard to move books that way. Really I think hard. it is. I think it's so hard because it's like if I'm listening to the radio in my car, how am I going to order the book? Like it's just it, it's it, it you're, you're you're what you're doing is jumping mediums. I got to go from the radio to my phone to order it if I'm not driving. Right. I just think that when you're on stage, it gives so much more power to your book. And, and then the reverse, the book gives so much power, more power when you're on stage. And right. I just think it's actually a, it's, I'm, it actually upsets me every gig I do that doesn't have books. Hmm. They don't um, and, that they don't buy them up up front for the whole audience. Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. Most of the time they don't now because they pay the keynote fee. And some speakers throw in books with it. And and I think if you're self published, you certainly that's much more viable. Thought right, right. Because you get for much. You're making a buck cost. a book, right? So yeah, there's I'm not making, a lot exactly. of incentive there. On a good day, I'm making a buck a book. Yeah. And, uh, and so for me, our revenue is keynotes, and um, um, we're debating it now. One of the things I'm thinking about now is this next year is you know, upping the fee a bit. And then with that, include some books, a hundred copies. And if they want to order more, they can order more. Yeah. It just makes it, everything makes it just so much more valuable for the audience. They love it. They love walking, you know, having a book in their hand. They love getting autographs. So that's a good way to value add. And it it really, it'll cost about two grand a gig. A great question for people to ask their clients are, well, okay, so you want this message. How long do you want the message to last? Okay, you want it to last a long time. Why don't we include a book for everyone so that we can continue the learning? And, you know, some people have some value add things too that they can add to the mix, you know, videos and things like that. Right, right. How do you add them even more value? Yeah, yeah. So um, let's talk about your idea around picking a lane in terms of social media and the power that's had for you. I think one of the problems is there's just, there's too much choice. Mm-hmm. That there's so many platforms, so many places you could be, and the problem you think the more the better. And so we've always used the strategy of platforming. We pick a platform, we focus on it, and I don't I don't mean a week. I mean six months to a year. Mm-hmm. And you you exhaust it just to the point of understanding it well. So we did that originally with Twitter right. in 2009. And then it was a little bit of Facebook. And then it was the blog. And then it's the podcast. And then it was Facebook uh, pages. And now I'm heavily invested on on LinkedIn just LinkedIn. because of the way it's, it's, it's shifted to much more content-driven versus feel- contact-driven. Yeah, so. it feels like that's a really interesting turn for a lot of people. I think more towards LinkedIn. We actually just did a podcast on LinkedIn uh, right before this one. So people can kind of circle back to that if they're not really sure how to get started. I think because then it allows us to give us focus. And it doesn't mean that you ignore what you already are on, Mm -hmm. but it allows you to understand it well, too. And the problem is people like, well, let's just, you know, automate it. Let's just sync and cross post and and make sure our content goes to all platforms and try to have presence without being present. Right. 
I've said since 2008, like I'm, I'm getting, part of me is getting tired of saying it. And part of me is like, well, that's why I still, I'm still in business, right? you know, cause people haven't learned it, but you know, it's just, it's like sending, sending a mannequin to a networking event. You know, you're, you're there, but you're not there. Right. And, you're, and I think the, the whole value of social media, I, the whole thing is the, is the person to person connection present. Yeah, that's right. a really good point. And I think for those of us who are lazy, and that's really what it comes down to yeah, laziness, sure. it, it, if we chose a platform and really decided to go all in on that platform, then I think it would allow us a little bit more freedom and then we can be more present. I, th- I think so. And I think you, you part of it wants to pick is where is your audience? And because mm-hmm. if you just go all in right now in MySpace, it's not going to work as well as both. <laughs> you know, so you got to have a little research on where you want to go. But right. I just find that I, I just – and people are freaking out right now. They're like, you know, Facebook is changing it so brands don't go on the news feed anymore. And I'm right. like, I've been saying it for seven years with them. Get ready right? for when it, you, right? When you build your house on rented land, you got to pay the landlord. Mm-hmm. And – um, but the problem is all these social media consultants, consultants all pushed pushed it, and one of their big selling points was it's free. And I'm like, now you've just screwed yourself. Right. Yeah. You know, right. This is this is it's the, the entire point of social media from the dawn of time has not been it's free. That is not the incentive. The whole point was connection. And I was one of the big users on one of the first business social media sites ever, which was called Rise.com. R Y Z E dot com. Hmm. And the nice thing about that was they had local hubs. So Rise was online and you had profiles and you had groups, but we had Rise Toronto. And I was on the committee there and every month it was, it was like having a local LinkedIn group. Right. Except, except one of the points of LinkedIn was that. So Rise is one of the biggest drivers was local chapters. And that really drove connection back way back then. And I, that's where I saw the power of it. And that's, to me, was the point. It's always individual connections to me about social media. It's never about brand connections on social media. That is a customer service attribute for brands, not a promotional engagement marketing tactic. I think I think there, is, there are definitely different tactics when it comes to it and knowing which one you're doing when you're doing it. You know, are you really trying to engage people? Okay, how are you doing that? And I'd like to talk to you about maybe one or two ideas that people yeah. can and can do. Um, but there's also kind of like a brand positioning, you know, here are some things we're putting out. And when people see your stuff on a regular basis, you know, we don't do a superb job at social media, but I think people are looking on and going, wow, they're doing some interesting things over there. That's uh, my goal is to kind of intrigue them. And then we'll do that personal, personal thing I would like to drill down on maybe just one platform. What's kind of one thing you can do uh, to engage? You know, I I see a lot of these questions that are completely unrelated to anything, I think. So (laughs) tell me about that. (laughs) I despise it. I despise it because one of the – it's a tactic and it's a tactic – that they say, look, it, it kicks in the edge rank algorithm on Facebook or the LinkedIn algorithm where you ask an open-ended question. And I swear, people do it. They're like, well, what is better, chocolate or vanilla? You know, and just like, and then I get all these comments and they're like, hey, it works. I'm like, no, you're, you're killing kittens here. Like, you're, it's just, there's <laughs> no, you're, it's so dishonest. It's so, uh, to me, unethical that you're, only, you're just asking for questions for the sake of using them for an algorithm. 
I just, it hurts my soul. I, I, I would suspect just in all, all, you know, I'll have to defend, but some people who might be listening in is that they don't really realize why they're doing it. They're doing it because somebody else said you should do it. I have no, see, here's the thing I have said since book one, since tweet one, since talk one is my beef is with the professionals, the ones that teach this stuff to others. So the people who have done it, the people who hashtag spam something, the people who cross post all these things, my job is because that's what they've been told. Mm -hmm. And people keep for years, for years, they've said, why do you focus on the negative? Why do you focus on the negative? This is because if I don't point out the bad, people will think it's good. Okay, that, so just so everybody knows, we're not trying to smack anybody's hand here. Or um, and, and kittens really won't die, Scott. <laughs> but I, you, but I know you, you but, like to say that. But, but, if you, but if you ask a question yeah. with no want or care of the answer, yeah. what other way can I describe it? Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I really look at those questions and I think, okay, who's engaging with you? Is it actually your client or is it a bunch of other speakers or I just don't even get the point at all? If you ask a question and you read the answers and want them, mm-hmm. then ask a question every day. It's a, about a the authenticity question. of ask, stuff. Ask a good question every day. Right. That's something that's <laughs> something relatable that's... to your world. If you right. Go look at the Unmarketing Facebook page and look what we post up there and look at the questions okay. we ask there. We ask questions like, we're, we're, we're doing our own podcast recording tomorrow. Who has a question? And people ask and then we answer them on the show. Nice. You know, I like we put that something else up. Like we use, our, we use our social media imprint as a catalyst for conversation. I like That's that. what makes it work for us. That's why we have a 70% reach on almost every single post we put out there on Facebook because we put out stuff with a purpose. Not because it works or it's recycled or it went viral. And there's tweaks you can do. If you do if you do a video clip and us being, you know, speakers listening right, right. now, one of the Videos. most powerful things is, is a video of you talking, obviously, mm-hmm. then then you can use tactics. Maybe it's the, gonna be the letterboxing of a video with a compelling headline. Great. Just make sure the headline matches the content. I have no problem with best practices. Our lives part of best practices is what Alice and I say about stuff. People base their they're marketing on what we say to them. So we make a living off best practices. Yeah. The problem is is the is the authenticity of stuff. And I want you to ask as many questions as you want if you want the answer. I want you to post as many dank memes as you want to on your site mm-hmm. because you think they're hilarious. But the day we do them to not connect with those we're connected with, then then I start questioning the point. And now look, look at Twitter. Look at the lack of engagement on the platform as an entirety nowadays, mm. where if you go, I log in, I see just a whole bunch it of automated noise, tweets. noise, 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 noise. And, and, and we, and we made the noise. We all made the noise. Yeah. And that's just been the problem. And I don't want that to happen. That's why I called my Facebook friend list from 4,000 down to 1,400 individually, one at a time. Maybe that's because, the ticket because I can't figure out how to get through the noise anymore. And, and I think that you got to pick the place. So Twitter, I've, I've given up taking mm-hmm. the noise away. Okay. I made, I talk about it in marketing where I made the, the huge mistake when I initially went on there and went gangbusters was I automatically followed everybody back. Right. It's a courtesy. I thought it was a kindness. The mm-hmm. Canadian was coming out at me and, <laughs> Whoops. and all it did was it created noise and all, all, all social media. Well, no, really all business runs off of relevancy. If I don't know why I'm going somewhere, I stop going. If I log into Facebook and see nothing that's relevant to me, right. nothing that's interesting. You will not come back. Come back. Yeah. 
and that's we're getting there. Uh, let me ask you this: photos and videos, uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook Live. To me, it seems as though that's those are good places for um, speakers to live. What are your thoughts on that? A hundred percent. I think if our skill set is there, then we should be there. Just the fact that only understand though that. they're just tools they're just platforms and the content has to be compelling that Mm -hmm. a video is just a video it doesn't mean it's going to work and i've seen a lot of you know video is hard to do we have a we have a a, an advantage as speakers that we already are we already like to speak and Mm -hmm. that's that puts us above skill set wise than most of the world most people don't want to be on camera most people don't want to be on stage it's one of the reasons why i can for a living so understanding that just because it's done on your phone doesn't mean it's amateur everything you put out there is your brand so if your phone is at a bad angle with bad lighting and sound mm-hmm. isn't working well, that's you. That's your brand. It's not a polished sizzle reel. It's it's you doing a Facebook Live. Just be, have a purpose to it. Why are you doing? It? Why do you want to do it? And it's hard. You know, these the live videos are hard to do. You're going to read the comments and the hearts flying across the screen. It's an ADD nightmare. It's right, not good deal. for someone who has a hard time holding a thought at age 53 years old. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's really difficult. So I've resisted anything that has too much interaction like that just because I'm really I, – I have – you know, it's all I can do just to remember at the end of the sentence what I started out wanting to say. Um, so, okay, that's good. I feel as though – what do you think is the next big thing? I get, you know, I'm going to give the answer I've been given for six years now that, um, I, I, I'll give you some thoughts on it, but I just think that we, we need to be better at now. Okay. We need to be better at 2007. You know, like, I mean, we've had these tools. We need to get better at blogging. <laughs> like, it's just so, okay. because we're so jumping to the next, to the next, to the next. Right. That we forget the majority of meeting planners, the majority of executives who would hire speakers are still trying to figure out book face. They're still trying to figure out chap snap. You know, neither things exist. You know, they're, they're still, they're not necessarily doing these things. I don't want to figure out how to be an augmented reality Tupac at a conference and keynote from my living room. I don't, that's not my thing. That's right. not to me. Augmented reality is so far off being anything on a consumer level mm-hmm. that I wouldn't even have a second thought. And this is my world, by the way. Yeah. I am digital tech, that type of stuff. I, 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 I have used it all. I go to CES. I talk about these things on stage, and I'm just like, let it go. That's not what we need to be focusing on right now. I, I, I just think I think podcasts are uh, yeah. on a great uptick. You I think love they'll the, still keep growing and growing? There's lots of room, don't you think? Huge amount of room. Yeah. I think there's a huge amount of room for them. I think okay. the term podcasting might be prohibitive to some part of the audience because that you know the, the audience who we want to get to eventually is the one who understand TV shows. You know, and radio, and sometimes the term podcast is so foreign to people. They're like, I don't do that. Like it's some kind of verb. Like it's mm. just like <laughs> I, don't, I don't do podcast, and that's actually one of the troubles we have with our show because it's called the Unpodcast. Hmm. It's a business show for the fed up. We film it and we have an audio. But I ask some people at events, I'm like, well, do you listen to the the show? They're like, we don't, we don't, we don't know what a podcast is. And I'm mm. like, do you, do you watch TV? They're like, yeah. I'm like, it's just online. It's just on demand. The only difference between a podcast and a sh- radio show is it's not live. That's right? interesting. That's-, That's very interesting. So you are going to – are you getting more um, downloads when you – or streams when you have the visual – from the visual than you are from the audio? No, or? audio is still uh, okay. 10 to 1. Okay, 10 to 1. That's really yeah. good to know. Okay. So I, audio is still the future, obviously, of it. And I think you know one of the biggest shifts have been – 
uh, the, you know, the ability to have the native app in the phone, the ability to cars that are connected, um, and, you know, unlimited kind of streaming bandwidth for those right. in the States because Canada stinks at mobile bandwidth, but the, 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 the penetration of the term and the audience has a long, long way to go still. Wow. We have covered a lot of distance here, Scott. And I just really want to say thank you so much. I'm so very appreciative of your taking the time. Is there any kind of last idea that you would like to leave when it comes to marketing or unmarketing that you think maybe professional speakers could benefit from? I do. I have really one thought for speakers that I know we've talked about numbers on the show and I know we talked about hitting a million and, mm-hmm. and you know, if you know all that stuff, I, I don't want people to think that's the rung. Like that is the, where you're supposed to be until you're not successful till you get to that. Right. If, if you are a speaker and you make $500, uh, no, $250 for lunch and learn for an hour of your time, that is more than the most of the free world makes in an hour ever in their mm-hmm. lifetime. And that means that should be celebrated that I, I just think that sometimes we create these false uh, uh, points of, of, of success. And I, I just, I don't think that's, I know there's people listening right now who are making, I, I said 20 K for a keynote and, and somebody who's at 2 K and they're True. like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not successful as I thought it was. You are. And I think that that's you, once you get paid to do that, you were chosen above everybody else. And I just don't, our industry has a habit of doing that and, yeah. and kind of pushing these people to the, the top of the mountain when if, you know, some people took an elevator, some people took a, <laughs> jumped out of a plane yeah. and some people aren't even up there. It's just a silhouette. So I just want people to know that you are doing something that most people can't do. And, um, I would focus on that versus seeing somebody else because you don't see what went behind the scenes. You yeah. know, people don't, people don't see my food court talk. <laughs> We're going to post a picture of the uh, library just Ready. so that people can really know. And I just thank you so much for that beautiful sentiment for people who are on their way to wherever it is that they deem to be uh, what the the term wealthy looks like in their own mind. And that is that beautiful, kind, sweet little Canadiana that we will leave <laughs> you with, everybody. Okay. Uh, Thank you, Scott, for being here. And with that, we will say, see you soon, Wealthy Speakers. Bye for now, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Wealthy Speakers Show. Please visit speakerlauncher.com for your free Wealthy Speaker audit. And visit speakerlauncher.com forward slash podcast for show notes and many more resources to help you catapult your speaking business. See you soon, Wealthy Speakers.